Who's seen Friends before? Who's actually watched Friends? Wow, I'm impressed. I was a little kid when that show started, so I'm impressed you guys have seen it. Well, we all have different standards, and that clip we just showed proves that, proves that we all have different standards. Uh, Generally, girls have pretty high standards when it comes to eating food off the floor. But guys have different standards. So it's kind of like the 10-second rule, you know? You drop some food on the ground, and guys are like, well, we got 10 seconds till it's bad, so I'm going for it. I'll eat grapes off the floor that have been squished by people's feet. No worries. But girls are like, ew, no way. It's touched the floor. I'm not eating it now. We have different standards. Or... Uh, in that clip we saw, Rachel, she was, she was horrified that she had dropped spaghetti on the floor because she had high standards of keeping the house clean, right? And she's like, oh, I've never lived like this before. But Joey was like, oh, it doesn't matter. Who cares about stains on the carpet? You're at Joey's. We have different standards. Um, so take school. Some of you are just happy if you get 51% in the maths test, yeah? If you pass... You're loving it. But other of you, other people here, uh, if you don't get top of the class or near top of the class, you're devo. We have different standards. All right, this is a bit of a funny one, but um, I, re- I reckon I have pretty high standards of cleanliness for a guy. And so, for instance, I hate having dirty hands. And so if I pat a dog, the first thing I want to do is find the tap and find the soap and get that dog smell off my hands. And I'm like, I'm not touching food until I've cleaned my hands after a pat a dog. We all have different standards of stuff. And I wonder if you've ever considered what God's standards are for us. See, most Australians think that God has pretty low standards. We think... um, God doesn't care that much, you know. You base, all you've got to do is just be a good bloke. Just don't murder anyone. Don't, you know, don't steal stuff, although you can steal music and, TV and DVDs off the internet and stuff like that. Um, and don't be too overly self-absorbed, and God will have you. No big deal. God's got low standards. Other people, religious people, they think that God has really high standards. And so they're like, man, if you don't do this and this, and come to confession every week, then God will not have you, you will not make it to heaven. Other people think God has really high standards. And today we're going to start in chapter 5 verse 17, which is just where you guys finished from your G-team study yesterday, and we're going to work all the way through this chapter right to the end, verse 48. Kind of going to do a bit of an overview, and we're going to see what God requires of the citizens of the kingdom. We're going to see God's standards for the citizens of the kingdom. And so far in Jesus' Sermon on the Mountain, we've seen uh, what the model citizen of the kingdom looks like. Do you remember from yesterday? The model citizen is poor in spirit. He's meek. He mourns. He hungers and thirsts after righteousness. But what are the standards that the model citizen of the kingdom will now live by? That's the question we're asking today. You guys get the question? All right. The first bit we've got to understand before we get to that is a little bit difficult. All right. So everybody, get your hands like this. I put them on your head. And now I'm just massage your brain. Get it going. 
still early. Massage your brain. All right. And have a look at verse 17. As I tell you, the first thing we've got to get, which is this, point number one, if you're taking notes. Jesus fulfills the Old Testament by bringing in the perfect kingdom. This is going to take some work. So have a look at verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, what on earth does that mean? Well, let me step you through it. The, the law and the prophets. Jesus says, I haven't come to abolish the law and the prophets. And the law and the prophets just means the Old Testament. So Matthew's the first book of the New Testament. The Old Testament is all that part. All right? So it's the first chunk of your Bible. And Jesus says, I haven't come to abolish or get rid of the Old Testament. In fact, I've come to fulfill it. You see, Jesus comes saying hectic stuff, right? He comes talking about the kingdom of heaven. Do you remember yesterday? He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And he's teaching all this new stuff. He's teaching the big crowd all this new stuff. And they start to wonder, man, what does Jesus think of the old stuff? Has he come to get rid of it? And Jesus says, no, I haven't come to get rid of it. That's not what's going on. We don't now forget about the Old Testament. I'm bringing in the perfect kingdom. I'm bringing in the perfect kingdom that the Old Testament had been pointing towards. Does that make sense? I haven't come to get rid of the Old Testament. I've come to fulfill it. I've come to fulfill all that it had pointed towards. And so in the Old Testament, um, God's people had laws and they had kings and prophets And they had a sacrificial system where they would do sacrifices to pay for their sins. But all this stuff, none of it solved the people's problems. You see, in the Old Testament, the people were the same as us today. They were sinners. And so all that stuff didn't solve their problem. None of them, none of that stuff that they had could make them right with God. So they couldn't keep God's laws. And... The kings were never perfect, and they always died. And the, the, the prophets were always talking about this other person who would come. They were never like me. They were always like, there's a guy that's going to come. And their sacrifices couldn't take away sin for good. And so when you read the Old Testament, the whole time you're kind of meant to be frustrated. You're meant to read the laws and say, these are good, but when are God's people actually going to be able to obey them? And you're meant to look at the kings and the prophets and say, that king, he wasn't, he wasn't perfect. He didn't lead God's people heaps well. And the prophets, when is this Christ going to come? They keep talking about the Christ. Where is he? And you're meant to look at the sacrifices that they do and say, Ugh, it just keeps going and going. When's the, the perfect once for all sacrifice going to come? It's just going to wipe away sin for good. When is this going to come? You're meant to read the Old Testament and be a little bit frustrated. You're meant to be waiting for something better. And then you get to the New Testament. We come into Matthew. And Jesus rocks up. And he perfectly fulfills all that the Old Testament had pointed to. And so it's kind of like this. Um, I'm going to test something here. And I'm going to walk away. I'm going to walk off stage. And this is not planned. But I'm just going to 
keep talking, and you guys see if you can listen. The Old Testament is like a map, right? And every map has an X on it, yeah? And the X on a map, the point of the X, the point of the map, sorry, is to get to the X. The Old Testament is kind of like a map. And Jesus is saying that I am the X, and my kingdom is the thing that the map is pointing towards. Jesus and his kingdom is like the treasure. Or, it's kind of like this. The Old Testament is kind of like an arrow. Is that the right way around? Yeah, it is. Can you read it now? All right, it goes this way. The Old Testament is an arrow. And what does an arrow do? You guys are so good. Yeah, arrows point places. And Jesus is saying, the Old Testament is an arrow... And the reason it's there is to point to me. And so these guys come saying, has Jesus come to get rid of the Old Testament? He's like, no, the Old Testament is here for me. The whole reason the Old Testament exists is it's pointing to Jesus. You guys get that? That makes sense? I reckon that makes sense. Jesus fulfills the Old Testament by bringing in the perfect kingdom. And so Christians, if you're a Christian here, I just saw a whole bunch of heads go up, which is awesome. If you're a Christian here, you belong to the perfect kingdom that God's people had been waiting for, for ages, for centuries. And so now we can ask ourselves, so what does that mean to belong to this kingdom? What is required of us now that we belong to this kingdom? And the answer is heavy. And it's hard. This is point number two, if you're taking notes. Citizens must be more righteous than the righteous. Now, have a look at your book. It says, citizens will be, cross that out with a duck noise, and cross out will, it's must. Citizens must be more righteous than the righteous. Have a look at verse 20 now. Pick up your Bibles. Verse 20, this is Jesus, For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, um, there's a few kind of things there we've got to clarify, you've got to understand. Um, Righteousness here, Jesus says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees. Righteousness kind of means your goodness, your holiness. So Jesus says, unless your goodness is greater than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, then you're not going to heaven. Now, um, who are the the Pharisees? Well, at this point, when Jesus said that, you guys don't know yet, but when Jesus said that, your righteousness must be greater than the Pharisees, I reckon there would have just been dead silence. Everyone would have done this. Because... Saying that you've got to be better than the Pharisees is like saying you've got to be more badass than Batman. I'm going to try and get Batman in every talk. And so um, the Pharisees, they're like the Batman or the, 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 they're the, the superheroes of religion, right? They're the ultimate good guys, the ultimate righteous people. And um, so these guys would they'd study the Old Testament like 37 hours a day. And um, they tried their hardest never to break any of the commandments. And they would come down hard on people when they did. 
They knew their stuff. And everyone considered them the best dudes going around. These were the top dog religious superhero kind of guys. And Jesus says, unless your righteousness is greater than the Pharisees, you ain't going to heaven. So everyone does this. And then all the women, I reckon, in the crowd would have just started crying and like sobbing and all the guys started like vomiting on each other's feet, freaking out. What? How could we possibly be more righteous than the Pharisees? You're meant to read that and be shocked. Sometimes it's hard to pick up what's shocking when, because it's just words. It just seems like words. You're meant to be shocked when you read that verse. From verse 21 onwards, and for the rest of the chapter, Jesus goes on to show how the kingdom standards, God's standards, are heaps high, and they're higher than what the Pharisees had understood. And so from verse 21 onwards, Jesus makes a series of statements that sound like this. You've heard it said, but I tell you. He does it in verse 21. He says, you've heard it said, don't murder. I tell you. He says it in verse 27, verse 31, verse 33, verse 38, and verse 43. That's what he's doing this whole section. He says, you've heard it said from the Pharisees, but I tell you. All right. And what he's doing is he's, he's taking what the Pharisees had taught the people from the Old Testament, and he's saying, no, nah, they've missed it. It's not like that. This is the actual standard. These are God's standards. So let's have a look and see how much higher God's standards are than what the Pharisees and teachers of the law had realized. Let's have a look at just a couple, starting verse 21. Make sure you're looking down at your Bible. You have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. All right? So that's what the Pharisees had taught the people from the Old Testament. And here's Jesus' standard, verse 22. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Jesus says, just murder. No, 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 no. It's much heavier than that. The standard's much higher. My standard is that a murderer and someone who's been angry with someone That's the same thing. This is what leads to this. It's the same. So uh, I doubt any of you here have murdered anyone yet. Um, But have you ever been angry with someone when you should have been patient? Yeah, me too. Jesus says, we're as good as murderers. So I reckon... Jesus just proved to us that every single person sitting here in this room needs a savior. You need a savior. I need a savior. God's standards are heaps high. Let's have a look at another example. Verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. So there's there's what the Pharisees had taught. They've just left it at that. And adultery means to sleep with someone who's not your husband or your wife, which is how God designed sex to be. And here's Jesus standing. He says, verse 28, But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
And Jesus takes the standard that the Pharisees had taught the people and he pushes it to the limit. He, he says, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. The kingdom standards far exceed what the Pharisees had taught the people. Now, if we're going to be citizens of the kingdom, we need to be far more righteous than the righteous. One more example, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, that's a, that's a skew-ift version of an Old Testament law. It's what the Pharisees had taught the people. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But here's Jesus' standard, verse 44. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. A Pharisee would say, love your neighbor. Yeah, cool. I'll love the other Pharisees. I'll be good to them. Easy, done. Tick the box. But the kingdom says, you've got you've to push deeper. You've got to love those who persecute you, who tease you. It's not just enough to love those who love you. That's heaps easy. So easy to be good to your friends. Jesus says, you've got to love those who don't love you, who are actually your enemies. Now, are you guys getting the picture of how hectic the standards of the kingdom are? If you want to be a citizen, if you want to go to heaven, you've got to be more righteous than the righteous. Now, I want... I want you guys to, to ask yourself this. Do you live up to the kingdom standards, what we've just heard? Jesus ends this section in verse 48 by saying this, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, what's like, this is the universal human sentence everyone knows and lives by. No one is Perfect. And if any of you guys here are still sitting there thinking, I am good enough to go to heaven by myself, you haven't heard what Jesus is saying here. You haven't heard it. This shows us, these kingdom standards show us that we can't meet the standards. We've got no hope. I've got no hope. You've got no hope. We're stuffed. We need someone to do something crazy to save us. Now, I want you guys to feel the weight of that. You cannot live up to God's standards. So how could we ever be citizens of the kingdom? How could we go to heaven? How could we be right with God? This is how. Jesus died so that we could be citizens of his kingdom. Do you remember the first beatitude, the very first thing Jesus says in this sermon? He says in verse 3 of chapter 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now you guys remember what poor in spirit means? It means to be deeply aware of your helplessness before God. Deeply aware that you're a sinner who needs saving. And see, the way someone becomes a citizen of the kingdom is not by living up to the kingdom standards because no one can do that. You can try, but you will fail. So all this stuff that Jesus has been saying from verse 21 to verse 48, this is not how to become a Christian. 
This is not how to become a citizen. This is what you do when you are a citizen. And so if the way that we made it into the kingdom was by keeping these standards, we'd have no hope. So rather, the way that you become a citizen is by being poor in spirit, by recognizing that you're a sinner who needs saving. You need someone else to save you. And then by trusting in Jesus, who died so that you could become a citizen of the kingdom. So entry into the kingdom of heaven is free. It's not about following rules or meeting standards. It's about trusting in Jesus as your savior and as your king. And when you do that, you're a citizen. Free entry. You see, God saw that we couldn't do it ourselves. He saw that we had no hope of being okay with him if we're left to ourselves. And so he sends his son, Jesus, to become a man, to live the perfect life, and to die on the cross. And Jesus, on the cross, takes our punishment. He takes the punishment for all our rejection of God. And so if we're poor in spirit, if we see that we need saving, and we put our trust in Jesus to be our saviour, and to be our king, then we automatically become citizens of the kingdom. It's like we get given wings. Do you remember our citizens of the sky, citizens of the ground illustration? Yeah, I think you guys, you guys, no, you guys were citizens of the sky, yeah? Well, we are by nature citizens of the ground, each and every one of us. We are born without wings. But Jesus is the, is the king of the kingdom of the sky, right? But we're born without wings. So what hope do we ever have of becoming a citizen of the sky? None. You need wings. But when we trust in Jesus, it's like he grabs us, he pulls us up with him, and he sticks wings on either side. And so now you're a citizen of the sky. You have wings. But what did you do to become a citizen of the sky? Nothing. You were born without wings. Jesus gives you wings. He makes you a citizen. And so we're born citizens of this world. We're born distant from God, in uh, enemies with Him, and there's nothing we can do to earn our citizenship in His kingdom. But when we trust in Jesus, He grabs us and He makes us citizens. Not because of any good that's been in us, or not because we've kept His standards, but because Jesus lived and died and rose again to make all who would trust in Him citizens of His kingdom. Guys, this is the best news you've ever heard. And so if... If you're thinking, if you're starting to see how this is good news, if you're starting to see how amazing this is, and you're wondering about how to become a citizen of the kingdom, how to become a Christian, this is what you've got to do. Don't count on yourself to become right with God. You can't do it. And you trust in Jesus as your saviour, and then you live your life following him as your king. If you do that, you're a citizen. 
someone, I was speaking to someone today and I asked them what they think being a Christian means and they said, you've got to be good. That's, that's what being a Christian is. Hear us now, guys. You can't be good. You need a saviour and Jesus is the saviour. You trust in him to save you and you follow him as your king and he makes you a citizen. Now, I've, I've got one more thing to show you and it's a little bit tricky. Um, so see if you can follow along. Come back to verse 20. Grab your Bibles. Jesus says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is a bit confusing now, isn't it? So here Jesus says, Unless you're more righteous than the Pharisees, the religious superheroes, then you can't make it to heaven. And then he goes on to correct the Pharisees' teaching of the people and he says, you've heard it said this, but I tell you this. But I just told you that the way you become a citizen is by trusting in Jesus, not by meeting the kingdom's standards. So what's going on in this section? How, how do we read this section? What is it, what's actually being said? Here it is. This is what's being said. Oh, a leaf. This is what's being said in this section. Bring it in. Calm down. It's just a leaf. In this section, Jesus is saying that citizens should seek to live drastically righteous lives. Now, everybody, jump to the end of the chapter, verse 48, where Jesus says, Shh, come on, guys. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, I want you to notice something. Who does he address there? He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, you guys tell me, who is able to call God, of the, the God of the universe, who's able to call God their Father? Put, put your hand up if you reckon you know. No one knows? I reckon most of you should know this. Yeah. Christians, yeah. Only Christians are able, only citizens of the kingdom, Christians, are able to call God their heavenly Father. And so in this verse and in this whole section, Jesus has been speaking to Christians. He's saying, seeing as though you are God's people, citizens of the kingdom, since your Father is perfect, you should be perfect too. He says, and he, he says it to, this is the cool thing, he says it to people who aren't perfect. He says, that you, he says this to people who know they're not perfect, who are, who are Christians, who trust in Jesus to save them. And he says, seeing as though you are now children of God, citizens of the kingdom, be perfect. Seek to live drastically righteous lives. So all this stuff in this section, from verse 21 to verse 48, this is not how you become a citizen. This is rather what we are to do when we are citizens. So if you're a Christian, this is what Jesus requires of you now that you're a follower of him. He says in verse 22, um, he requires you that you don't be angry with people. Verse 28, he requires that you, that you be pure in your thinking about the opposite sex. In verse 39, he requires that you don't retaliate when someone persecutes you, but you turn the other cheek. 
Verse 43, he requires that you pray for those who persecute you and hurt you, who tease you and mock you for being Christian. He says, pray for them. And he, go, he, he requires that we go to drastic measures to be righteous. In verse 29, he says, if your eye is going to cause you to sin, pluck it out. In verse 30, he says, if your hand causes you to sin, chop it off. Now, Jesus isn't actually saying, everybody, go mutilate yourselves. The point he's making is, if you're a Christian, then you must seek to live a drastically righteous life. For you are now a child of the living God of the universe, who is perfect. And you now belong to his perfect kingdom. And so, we've got to live by righteousness, because that is the way of your King, Jesus. All right. Let's apply this for the Christians. Um, If you're a Christian, this, what we've just seen today, this is what your King requires you live like. He requires that citizens of His kingdom have perfect righteousness. So how are you guys going at living by the kingdom standards. Now, you, your king knows that you aren't perfect. He saved you. He knows that you aren't good in of yourself, and that's why he saved you. But because of what he did, how are you going at obeying him, at living in righteousness? Now that he has saved you, work at living a righteous life in obedience to Jesus. And I reckon there's three things we can do, and this is for the leaders as well. There's three things we can do from this passage, um, and I reckon we should all do it today. We should ask God for forgiveness for where we fail to obey Jesus, and we will. So ask God for forgiveness, and He'll forgive you. Ask for God's help. This is the second thing. Ask for God's help in obeying Jesus. And the third thing is, commit to working at the Bible for the rest of your life. Commit today to working hard at the Bible for the rest of your life because that's how we find out what Jesus wants us to live like. So that means at home by yourself in your own Bible reading, in studies, in G-teams, in talks at youth, work hard at the Bible. And now let me apply this passage to people who aren't Christians. Friends, see how good Jesus' kingdom is. His kingdom is the one where citizens should be seeking to love their enemies, to pray for those who do bad for them, to them, to be merciful and loving, to turn the other cheek and see how far short you fall from His standards as you have no hope of meeting the kingdom standards by yourself. None of us do. I do not. That's why I'm a Christian. My bet is that you can't even meet your own standards, let alone God's. And so, guys, come to Jesus for forgiveness. Forgiveness from Jesus and in Jesus is free. It cost him his entire life, but it's free. It costs us nothing. But it's only those who recognize their helplessness before God and who run to Jesus for saving who will belong to the kingdom. How about I pray? Father, today we saw your standards. 
And we saw that perfect righteousness is demanded of Christians. Father God, please help us. Please help us Christians to obey Jesus and to obey him with great joy because of what he's done for us. Thank you for sending him to die in our place, to take our punishment, to live the perfect life so that we could become citizens of the kingdom. Uh, Father, I pray for those people here who, who aren't trusting in Jesus, who aren't citizens of the kingdom. Father, please help them see their need for a saviour and would you cause them to run to Jesus for saving. Please save people today, Father. Please save people now. Please bring people to yourself this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.